Guess who's back? Back again. It's the Erie County GP Podcast. Tell a friend. We are back from our summer hiatus. Uh, welcome to season two of the Erie County GOB podcast. My name, <laughs> my name's Brodigan. We've got a great show lined up. Uh, we're going to be uh, the chair. We're going to be talking to a potential uh, statewide candidate, uh, Harry Wilson. He's going to have some interesting things to say. An interesting side note: when he ran for controller in, in twenty ten, I was his first ever blogger of the month. So that's that. that that's your fact of the day. Before we get there, uh, we've got a lot of stuff to catch up on, and I'm joined as I am each and every week by the glorious Chairman Nick Langworthy. Welcome. Thanks, Brad, again. We're back. You know, the, a, a few people said, well, did you quit doing that? Now we just took a few weeks off uh, as the summer kicked off, and, and, and we're going to be back at this uh, hopefully each and every week as we go through this very, very intense election. There's so much going on. I mean, we, we had uh, a big primary on Tuesday. You know, I, I think we have to start with the presidential election because that's all anyone ever is talking about everywhere I go. Uh, it's, a, it's just amazing. But this thing is going exactly in the right direction. I mean, Donald Trump has had an excellent month. Hillary Clinton's campaign seems to be tanking. Um, you know, when, when you're talking about how you're not healthy enough to do the job, you're probably not winning the news cycle. And um, it's it's been a long campaign for especially for Trump supporters. You know, we had some very dark days earlier in the summer, and uh, I think he's really hitting his stride here. And, and but the, the the fascinating thing is is that it's remarkable how a career politician like Hillary Clinton could be so bad at this. It, and this is all based upon blind ambition. Uh, she just needs to be the president, and you know, even though they're they're playing a weekend at Bernie's routine here to try to keep her viable, and she clearly can't stand up to the rigors of presidential electioneering. Um, it, you know, her her policies are being rejected. Her continual scandals regarding her emails and 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 the abuse of power as Secretary of State, the shady business dealings of the Clinton Foundation. This is all coming home to roost, and it's coming home to roost in that magic time that all the pundits talk about post-Labor Day. You're, you're seeing you know, Trump on a continual basis look more and more presidential, You know, possibly starting with his trip to Mexico, which I think was a, a great success, but he's going around giving detailed policy speeches, talking about issues that make him look like a leader. Because he is. And, and where's Hillary? She has pneumonia. I mean, this, this, this doesn't happen to young, healthy, vibrant people that are running for president. So, uh, you know, Hillary, you know, is, is, it, is it the health or is it the scandal that she can't get past? I mean, she totally flopped uh, when they had the, the presidential forum. You know, September 26th, we're going to be live uh, that Monday night from uh, – from, from your backyard in Nassau County. And, uh, you know, the first presidential debate at Hofstra, I think will probably be one of the greatest rated programs uh, in the history of television. And it's, 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 uh, it's going to be interesting to see how much the moderator tries covering for. Well, I mean, how bad is it when the entire professional left attacks Matt Lauer because he actually asked tough questions of Hillary Clinton? <laughs> yes, Matt Lauer, I mean, the, 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 the ideological Matt Lauer. This is a handicap match, this entire presidential election. Hillary Clinton in the media versus Donald Trump. And they cannot get their head around the fact that Donald Trump might be our next 
president of the United States. But, ladies and gentlemen, it's it's going to happen. I mean, you just see the incremental movement. I mean, you, you see people that are excited about this. I mean, we're, we're seeing such an uptick in support. And, you know, I, I can't wait till Saturday. We're going to open our Victory Center. I have more people that want to volunteer for this campaign than I have ever seen. Um, you know, the only thing locally, and it was a hometown kid thing, that rivals this was the enthusiasm in Buffalo that we had when Carl Paladino ran for governor. When it was, you know, one local guy against the whole state. Um, I, I think we have a huge opportunity and we are going to turn this county red in the presidential election. And it is the first time I was totally mistaken every time I said it was Reagan. This county hasn't been carried since Nixon. 72. We're going to carry this county for Donald Trump. Well, and we're going to have plenty to talk about in um, the presidential race in the up and coming weeks. But we actually had some big countywide stuff happen because we had our, our big primary uh, two days ago. And um, it looks like the primary yeah, victories. And it looks like the area GOP had a, had, a, had a good night. We had a great night. We've had a great uh, primary season. You know, and we knew it from the outset. Chris Jacobs would be our nominee. He was our endorsed candidate very early. Our county clerk. He's done an amazing job. He, he served taxpayers. He cleaned up the clerk's office. He got the patronage out of there. Uh, he, he professionalized the office. He streamlined the processes within the office. You have attorneys that are very happy with the way the clerk's office works and in their professional lives. You know, customers of the DMV think he's done a terrific job. I mean, and that's why he's as popular as he is. Kevin Stocker, frequent candidate, Gadfly, someone that, you know, he beat Mark Grisani in the primary two years ago because Grisani voted for the SAFE Act very foolishly. Um, he got a lot of bad advice when he made that vote. I told him that day he lost the primary. I never thought Kevin Stocker was a factor in the race with Chris Jacobs, and Chris Jacobs proved that running on his record, and he got 76% of the vote. Resounding victory. Chris now takes that momentum into the general election uh, against a, a newcomer, someone you know that doesn't have much of a record, a, a, a former government employee for the city of Buffalo. Um, I, I think Chris is going to continue on his positive tone, but you know, talking about bringing ethics to government, and that's it precisely what we need. We need someone that is clean to go represent this seat. There's been far too much controversy in the 60th Senate District between the the, the, the Grisani era into uh, Mark Panapento, who's a disgraced former senator, uh, or soon to be former senator, but he's leaving office with a giant dark cloud over his head. Uh, Chris Jacobs' ethics and integrity are not to be questioned. He has served his community. He has given very selfless, selflessly, and he'll he'll be exactly what Buffalo and Western New York need, representing us in the New York State Senate, and he'll help keep this Republican majority. We're going to do our part here in Western New York, gaining a seat to help take the pressure off downstate. So, and we got um, and I know you're going to be opening your big victory headquarters on Saturday, and that's. Pretty much going to be like you know yep. seven or seven or eight weeks, all like all hands on deck. Yeah, absolutely. We have our Victory Center, which is uh, going to be out on Transit Road. Visit our Facebook page for the address. Uh, we have um, our our Chairman's Roundtable is going to be at that Victory Center nine thirty uh, Saturday morning um, uh, of this week, and 
you know, hopefully we get a nice crowd out there. We get people to sign up to take shifts to start working the phone systems and uh, we go at it. So I, I am, I'm excited about this uh, opportunity. And I'm also very excited about the primary victory in the conservative party primary by Joe Trainer. Uh, this is one that, you know, we haven't won the DA's office since 1985 was the last time Dick Arcara, who is now a uh, senior status federal court judge was our last Republican district attorney. This array somehow uh, within the people that succeeded our Kara ended up in the presidential cycle. Two to one county, dark blue, very tough to win in a presidential year. Well, right now we have Joe Trainer, an outside the box candidate, a total outsider, career military, JAG colonel, you know, part of the team that prosecuted Saddam Hussein uh, for his crimes against humanity. I mean, it's a big deal. I mean, this guy is the real deal. He has served us. Uh, he's an unsung hero, a Purple Heart recipient. I mean, he is one of the kindest, gentlest, um, and sincere people I have ever encountered in my time in politics. And Joe Trainer won the conservative line. He's a registered conservative that, that allowed him to run in the primary. We've proudly given him the Republican line. He's the endorsed candidate of the independents in the Reform Party as well. He goes into this race with four lines against uh, a victorious but uh, still, you know, battered John Flynn, who comes out of a three-way primary, uh, defeating the acting district attorney. He's beat John Flynn once. I think he'll do it again in November. So that uh, that that covers um, 2016. Uh, this year, for the for the most part, other than the you know like seven eight seven eight weeks of all hands on deck, um, and I guess let's leave it off there because coming up after the break, uh, we may or may not be talking about twenty eighteen, depending on how much our guest uh, Harry Wilson uh, well wants to let us know. Yeah, Harry Wilson. Harry Wilson's been here in Buffalo. Uh, he was here all day yesterday. I spent a, a great deal of time with him. He was the keynote address last night at the Amherst Republican dinner. Harry Wilson will be with us in the next segment. He is actively. Um, looking at running for governor of the state. He was uh, an excellent candidate for state controller in 2010 and uh, unfortunately just fell short of beating DiNapoli, uh, performed incredibly well on the ballot. Uh, we're going to hear more from him in the next segment. I mean, but Harry, uh, he's a corporate turnaround artist. He's a guy that has fixed broken companies and helped create jobs across this country. So uh, we look forward to hearing from him in the next segment. Harry Wilson coming up after the break. You're listening to the Erie County Juby Podcast. Welcome back to the Erie County GOP podcast. I'm Brodigan, uh, joined as I usually am each and every week by Chairman Langworthy, and I believe the chairman has our special guest. We we do very uh, we're very proud to have with us uh, Harry Wilson. Now you may remember Harry from the 2010 race for New York State Comptroller. Uh, Harry came very very close to winning uh, that office. Is actually the the closest we have come to winning a statewide office with a Republican. Uh, it really, since George Pataki was in office, I mean, Harry 
uh, is uh, actively exploring a, the possibility of running for governor in 2018. And he was, uh, did a whirlwind tour of uh, the Buffalo area yesterday. And here we are uh, live with him on the phone. So, Harry, welcome. Thank you, Nick. Good to be with you. Good. Well, hopefully uh, you're not too exhausted from the campaign trail yesterday in this unofficial capacity. But uh, I know we had a, a few opportunities to get together last night, and then you were the keynote address at the Amherst uh, Republican Committee. So I'm going to put it right out there. I mean, you know, tell us what what your thoughts are right now on as you look to 2018 and possibly running for governor. Sure, sure. So, you know, I, uh, as you know, I've been a career businessman focusing on turning around broken companies. So I've never been an active candidate other than my time in 2010. And the reason I ran in 2010 was I was you know, convinced that the state was on the wrong track and that could make a big difference. And, and then look, you know, six years later, a lot of the uh, changes that our current governor has made have made things worse. Uh, there have been some pockets of benefits for sure that I think are largely short term. But overall, as you look at the state and where we're going, I think things are getting materially worse, not better. And I don't see any prospects for change from the current governor. Um, and so that's where that's where I think I can really make a difference. I've you know I've been the beneficiary of living in the state my whole life, other than being away from school. Uh, I grew up in a you know, small town upstate and been very uh, fortunate to have a great business career. I look forward to the future for my four daughters, um, who you know range in age from seven to fifteen. I just think that their future is less good than the present, and that's just not right. That's not what America is all about. That's not what my family came here. That's not what this country is all about. So. I think it make a big difference. That's why I'm looking hard at potentially running for governor. That's great. Uh, you know, the one thing I don't think enough people know about is your background. And uh, you've got, you know, one of those great American dream stories. Uh, and I know I'm every time we talk, I'm always trying to promote you to tell that more. So we're going to do that here. I mean, uh, it's easy to, to look at you and say, oh, here's here's a Wall Street guy that, you know, <laughs> now lives in in Scarsdale and, you know, what, what does he know about upstate, but you really do. And, uh, Johnstown, uh, you know, tell us a little bit about your upbringing. Absolutely. So I was born in 1971 in Johnstown, New York. It's Bolton County, about an hour Northwest of Albany, very rural, uh, working class town. Uh, my dad was born there. Both his parents were Greek immigrants. Uh, my dad was a bartender in my uncle's restaurant and my mom came there a little bit less than a year before I was born from a poor farming village in central Greece. Uh, so we're very working class family and you know, my parents had overcome a lot just to get there. My dad grew up in the Great Depression and fought in World War II. My mom's village, she um, grew up under Nazi occupation in World War II. She was born in 41 and then under a communist civil war in the late 40s. So she didn't even return to her home village and start school until she was nine years old. Um, just one of the toughest people I've ever known. So I, I had the, those great influences growing up and, and I was able to work hard. I was first in my family to go to college, um, did, did you know, reasonably well in school, and, and uh, then went to Harvard and Harvard Business School. And that really, uh, that set of experiences of you know, having my parents' hardworking examples, their, their message that in America, um, you can do anything if you work hard enough. And you know, my mom voted with her feet by coming here in the first place. Uh, it was just incredibly powerful. And so I, I always believed that from a young age, and I was fortunate to see it play out in my own life. 
Well, and, and, and that, you know, is, you know, on this podcast, we talk a lot about, you know, the party, the future of the party. And, you know, a lot of people look towards Marco Rubio as an aspirational figure as, as his presidential race, you know, kicked off. I mean, because he had a compelling personal story. And you, you do, too. I mean, you're, you're the son of immigrants. Uh, your dad was a bartender. Your mom, you know, was a sewing machine operator. And, and you have, you know, become a, a, a central figure in saving General Motors. I mean, you know, that is uh, that is the American dream. I mean, that, you know, we, we are going to create a, a a state and a country that that leaves uh, it better for our kids. And your parents did that. And now it's up to us to do that for our kids. And I know that, you know, you and I have had many conversations about the direction of the state, you know, the governor, I mean, you know, the greed for power that exists in Albany and in the need to clean up the swamp. I mean, it's, uh, it, it's, it's really disappointing and, you know, we're not getting our value for how much it costs to live in this state. Um, you know, Harry, one of the things that's on the front page of the Buffalo news all the time is this solar city project, and I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about, you know, this is a creation of the Buffalo Billion. I think they got less creative at the, where they spent three quarters of the billion, which is this gigantic million dollar facility for Solar City. Um, what are your thoughts on trying to create the silver bullet solution for economic development based on solar power? Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a great question. And, you know, I think the, the stark contrast between the governor's approach to economic development and what I would do is shows the difference between someone who looks at it from purely a political lens. Obviously, the governor's a career politician, and that's, uh, that's really his only background and experience. And uh, you have a career businessman. And so the governor saw it, I think, frankly, as, you know, he lost Western New York badly in 2010. So he said, oh, let me throw some money at the problem. And he decided to throw out a billion dollars, which is a big number in any, anybody's uh, world. And the problem is he has no idea how to help actually build jobs. So you could throw a lot of money at a problem like we do in the state and virtually all of our problems and not actually have an impact. I'm much more focused on impact and actually making a difference in people's lives. And so when you look at then the details of what he did, as he said, three quarters of it went to basically one facility. Um, as many people who follow Solar City know, the company was you know, facing the prospects of potential bankruptcy. And that's why Tesla, um, it's you know, effectively a sister company owned primary control primarily by the same person, Elon Musk, is uh, buying it to bail it out. So here was a massive bet on one company uh, with a technology that, you know, still issues to work through. I think, you know, there's certainly a role for solar in the future, but it's uh, you still need substantial improvement in costs. And, you know, we have a politician making decisions and making bets that are that concentrated, uh, it's no wonder that almost, you know, went under. And so you have the situation where he's made a huge bet. Uh, it, it's not working, looking very promising and it's consistent with all the economic development programs. That's why upstate New York has not made um, much if any progress under this governor. You know, my approach would be very different. Yeah, you know, I believe in the power of people. I don't believe that one bureaucrat or one politician knows nearly as much as the millions of great people in the state. And so how do you unleash that power of individuals? I think the way to do it is to carve back government and allow entrepreneurs and individuals and, and leaders to come forward and want to be here. Well, people who want to stay here and people want to move here. So how do you do that? Well, the only way to do it to create a much more business friendly environment is to dramatically cut spending, dramatically cut taxes and dramatically carve back regulations that don't help people. Um, you know, this is, <laughs> I think I've seen a lot of bloated corporate budgets over the years. 
this is by far worse than any wood corporation I've ever seen. There's no profit motive, and as a result, you've had uh, just massively misallocated resources. So I, do I think we can cut billions and billions of dollars from the state budget? Absolutely. And if we do that, those billions will fund what I believe would be the biggest tax cut in the history of the state. It would take us from being the highest tax state in the country to the lowest tax state in the Northeast, not in the country, unfortunately, but the lowest tax state in the Northeast. And all of a sudden we're jobs magnet. So instead of relying on politicians to hand out goodies to corporations that may or may not make it, we'll have those corporations decide to come here on their own because it's a great place to be. And the corporations who are already here stay. Um, and that's the foundation of job creation. I would do the same thing on the regulatory side. You know, Charlie Baker is the uh, current uh, Republican governor of Massachusetts, a businessman who got elected governor in a deep blue state. I like that story. <laughs> and uh, what he's done is done a huge scale regulatory review in the last year. And he's either he's eliminated 15 percent of the state regulations and he's going to change another 40 plus percent. It's really kind of extraordinary. And I think New York has the same opportunity to, to really uh, make people's lives better by carving back unnecessary uh, regulations. Startup New York, as you look at the 50 million plus that's been spent on creating, I don't know, just with three, 400 jobs tops, um, mm-hmm. you know, people I talk to here, you know, in Buffalo and Western New York, head around it. They also can't get their head around the fact that those ads run here. Shouldn't that be, you know, <laughs> in, in, your, your, in what you do, you know, for a living and what you've accomplished by turning companies around, um, you know, shouldn't these be in front of site selectors? Shouldn't, you know, they have used that money to go, you know, hire, you know, salesmen basically to go to other states and go to businesses outside of New York to try to bring them here? I mean, is this, is this, a, is this just a scam? <laughs> Basically, yes. I mean, it's a great question, Nick. And, and you know, there, there are two huge problems with Startup New York. The first is exactly what you said. If the governor was focused on attracting businesses, he'd be advertising out of state. If he was focused on supplementing his own campaign budget and getting, ensuring his reelection, which is really his goal, he'd, of course, run the, states, run the ads in-state, which is what he's been doing. So it's outrageous that he's used taxpayer money to effectively supplement his already uh, fat campaign budget. Um, the second thing is, if it had been successful, you could say, well, it's not the right thing to do, but at least people have benefited. But in the space of two years, his own report, his own report, this is not some third party, not someone he can argue with. His own report says they've created 395 jobs. That's not a typo. I'm not missing a digit. It's 395 jobs. Uh, and that, and as you, as you dig into it, by the way, and this one, some we're doing, you find that even those jobs are, are, are a little bit uh, specious. So, He's basically had no impact on the state for 50 million in spending, um, and uh, I just it's just it's a wrong use of taxpayer dollars. People worked hard for that money, and it's being misspent for things that aren't benefiting anyone other than the governor's reelect. I mean, it it might be the most colossal waste of taxpayer money that I you know I've ever seen. I mean, it, it really you know an ad campaign to make few people feel better about the business climate when it's a joke. And, right. you know, that we're in, a, we're in a tough spot here, I mean, in, in Buffalo, because there is some stuff happening. I mean, downtown is turning the corner. This has been 25 years in the making, though. I mean, there's mm-hmm. some private sector investment. There's some public sector investment. Some of this public sector investment started, you know, four governors ago. And it's finally yes. bubbling up. And 
yet, you know, Cuomo through his minions here in, in Western New York, who are some of the uh, uh, those with a halo on their head by the Buffalo News, um, you know, they are, are championing these as great successes brought to you by your your friendly governor. Um, so it's really tough to cheerlead against Western New York, but when you see the fact that people aren't coming here to live, they're not bringing their businesses here from out of state, unless we start bringing people back, uh, still our greatest export is is, is our minds and our, and our youth. Yep. Um, you know, yep. in, in, in Western New York, uh, in, in Erie County, our county executive, who's uh, a, a devout liberal, he championed the fact that... Um, we had population gain. The population uh, loss was 8,500, but the gain came through the 12,500 refugees that came to be settled here. So that's, that's not a net positive for the community. It's actually, you know, a, a, a strain on our economics through uh, social welfare. So, uh, you know, we have this, you know, really charade going on to convince everyone all is well. But meanwhile, you know, our problems are growing. Our population is hemorrhaging. And uh, we need somebody, we need a governor, frankly, to go turn the state around. I mean, we, we need somebody that's going to go in there and break the furniture. Now, one of the other themes I know that you're touching on in your visit is about corruption and ethics in Albany. Because, you know, I, I talk often about draining the swamp. I, I haven't pulled punches even on our own. I mean, I was probably the toughest on Dean Skelos of anyone in the Republican Party. Um, but you know, how do you fix it? So Harry Wilson becomes governor, you know, January of 19, how do you fix it? Sure. Well, it's, it's, it's hard because the folks voting on most of the stuff are the folks affected by it. And so that's one of the big challenges. And of course they have no desire or interest in making changes. Um, so let me talk yeah, what's about your agenda? two. Yeah. So let me talk about two elements. First is, um, you need to have a lot more frequent term. You need term limits legislature. I know even my own party, the Republican Party, is not a fan of term limits, but I think you need to have fresh blood in the state legislature. The reason so much of the corruption happens, as, you, as you've seen, is later in people's careers, they become entrenched, arrogant, untouchable in their minds, and they start drifting away from whatever ethical moorings they might have had earlier in their career. Um, secondly, I think that you need to uh, really focus on, on um, getting better people in the public office, frankly. I mean, the, a big cause of our problems is a real um, lack of talent in public sector leadership. Um, and so as we get more, more and better people in the public life, as we inspire more and better people in public life, they realize that you can actually do good things in government if it's done the right way. I think we'll get better people and therefore less corruption. Um, the last thing I'd say is something that I think is particularly significant and I think a chance for citizens to really stand up and, and, and really push on this agenda is, and many people will follow this, is there is a pending legislative pay raise. Right now, the legislature and the governor created a commission that would review legislative pay. And that commission came back and said, oh, the, the pay of senators and assemblymen should be raised from $79,500 to $116,000. to a $37,000 pay increase. Now, I'm sure there are lots of gigs around the state for a part-time gig, exactly. I'm sure there are a lot. It doesn't include the benefits and the per diems and all the other stuff. And so, that I'm sure there, are, you know, probably 19 million New Yorkers who would love to have a $37,000 $37, pay hike, but they can't vote on it themselves. And so, and of course, what the legislator did is they they set it up so that they have to actually proactively vote against it 
And if they don't do that, which good luck expecting that unless there's citizen outrage, is it goes automatically into effect on January 1st. So they can say, oh, I didn't vote for it, but of course they didn't vote against it. It's just outrageous. And to me, it's exactly the problem that comes in from having a bunch of career politicians who are dependent on the, on the role for their job and their livelihood, who are focused on their own reelection, rather than private citizens from walks of life who come in for a short period of time and try to make a difference. Um, that's kind of my central message, is getting more and better people into public life or in to make a difference. And I think once we do that, we'll have a lot, lot, more, um, lot more progress and a lot fewer of these corruption scandals. Well, Harry, I know that uh, you're very busy and you're going to catch a plane here shortly. I, I thank you for, for visiting us here in Buffalo and, and, and your time yesterday and then uh, being a guest on this report. Just as we finish up here, what's your timeline? Well, so, I'm, you know, as, as you know, I'm going around uh, much of the state now and talking to people and hearing about their issues and, and looking at ways we could help. Um, I think, you know, that process will play itself out over the next year. So I'll, I'll probably be looking at making a decision in the fall of 2017. Very good. We look forward to having you on again, Harry. Uh, and gentlemen, Harry Wilson. Thank you, Nick. Thank you.